This is Holy Week. Did you know that in the Gospels, about 30% of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have to do with this one final week in the life of Christ. In the Gospel of John, almost half of the book, almost half of the, probably 45% of the book, has to do with this one final week in the life of Christ. Wow, must be a pretty important time. And so we want to look at this week and study it in detail. Yesterday was Palm Sunday. It commemorates what would be biblically called the triumphant entry, the triumphal entry of Christ. He'd come from Bethany, which is on the east side of the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives being east of the old city of Jerusalem. And he had come, he'd ridden on a donkey. It's probably maybe, maybe two miles, maybe not quite that far, um, depending on, you know, you, you walk up over the Mount of Olives, maybe it's not quite two miles away. When we go there, we don't visit Bethany because it is in um, uh, the West Arab-controlled territory. It's difficult to get there. It would be basically take an entire day to get to the tomb of Lazarus, the city of Bethany, and so forth. That's not part of most Christian tours there. It's not part of our tour. But it's not that long of a walk. Maybe it would have taken, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes of a walk. And Jesus rode in on a donkey, and the people saw this was the fulfillment of a prophecy. They were seeing this is the coming Messiah. And they threw their clothes on the ground so the donkey, and threw palm branches on the ground so the donkey would walk upon this. This was their way of praising him, of making his entry wonderful, glorious. And they would shout Hosanna to the to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were praising him as the Messiah. But right away, Jesus gets into, he gets into it with the Pharisees. Jesus is going to really expose corrupt religion. And this in this last week of his life, this is a major thing that happens. He'd had conflict with Pharisees and Sadducees prior to this, but boy, it all breaks loose on this last week of his life. He comes in and, and uh, he, he rides in, he views the temple, he, he kind of walks around and looks at the temple, and then he goes back to Bethany that night to spend the night. The next day, Monday morning, he comes in and he goes to the temple, and what does he do? He, ca- he cleanses the temple. He overturns the tables of the money of the money changers. He, he, I don't know, knocks down the cages of the birds. What's going on here? You, to come to the temple, you had to have sacrifices. And the sacrifices, you had to have a, a, a turtle dove, for instance, if you were poor, uh, you had, you know, or a lamb, or what if it, you know, and this was Passover week that was coming. You had to uh, work in in the the uh, Jewish currency shekels, which was not, you know, the money changers were changing from the Roman coinage into the Jewish, which would be accepted in the temple. And these people were taking advantage of others; they were ripping them off. They had to have these things for their sacrifice, but they were being ripped off, and Jesus would have nothing of it. Zeal for the Father's house consumed him, and he cleansed the temple. Well, obviously, the Pharisees were quite upset. They began to challenge his authority. Who do you think you are doing this? Where do you get your authority? He comes right back at them. Well, I'll answer you that question if you tell me, uh, John, where did John get his authority? John the Baptist. Was it from God or men? Well, these four poor Pharisees were stuck. They said, if it's from God, he'd say, well, why then didn't you believe him? If he'd say it's from man, the, uh, that his authority was from men, 
the people would be, you know, all upset and they'd, they'd reject him because the people believed John was from God. Well, it just got worse and worse and worse. So we, you know, in the book of Matthew is where I'm going to be getting my outline for for this week. But it just it just picks up. You know, they start having, uh, they challenge him more. Jesus tells parables. He tells parables and basically a son who obeys and a son who doesn't obey. And the son who doesn't obey, but did, I mean, who said he wouldn't, but ended up obeying. And then there's another son, I'll obey, but doesn't. And the Pharisees realized that Jesus was telling this parable about him, especially they realized that when he said, the tax gatherers and sinners are going to get into the kingdom of God before you do. My, that must have stung. My, that must have stung. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus saying that to the religious leaders? Can you imagine, for instance, someone saying that to, uh, 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 you know, your pastor? Or maybe saying it to someone who's uh, been a pastor of a mainline church for many, many years and saying the, the tax gatherers, the sinners, the, the bad people, they're going to get into the, into the uh, kingdom before you do. Boy, that must have hurt their pride. That must have made them angry. It says they went out and they plotted how they might kill him. And so instead, the next thing they did, they wanted to trap him. They asked questions, you know, can we, you know, this coin, uh, is it, excuse me, I didn't say the coin. They said, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? This wasn't a real interest in taxes. There's a desire to trap him. Understand, most of the questions Pharisees asked Jesus in the, in the Gospels were not sincere questions. They're questions to trap him. And what's Jesus say? He's, he outwits them again. Show me the coin. Whose inscription's on it? Oh, uh, uh, Pilate's then, or Caesar's, then render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and render to God that which is God's. The Sadducees, they, they came up. See, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. They think that there, there's no judgment, there's no resurrection, etc. And so they tried to trick him. You know, there's a guy who got married and, uh, and he died. So his brother, you know, according to the Mosaic law, his brother married the woman and he died and Seven brothers, all of them had the same woman. Who's, who's going to have her in heaven? And Jesus said, you're mistaken, not understanding the word of God nor the power of God. And he puts them to shame. And they, they bring up other questions. You know, uh, they, they just continue to keep trying to trap him. Uh, you know, what's the great commandment? Um, et cetera, et cetera. They just keep trying to trip him, trap him. This conflict is just escalating, 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 and Jesus does not back down. It culminates in chapter 23 of Matthew, where he pronounces eight woes upon the Pharisees. He essentially starts off by saying, you guys like to sit at the head of the table. You guys love it when people call you pastor or rabbi or teacher. You guys love it when, when they call you father. Don't let any, don't call anyone on earth your father. You have one father. Don't call anyone your teacher. You have one teacher. Sit at the sit at the rear of the table. Let someone call you up front rather than put you at the at the head of the table and have to be put down. Jesus is just beginning. He's just rebuking these people. He gives eight woes in chapter twenty three. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This word hypocrite. You're like a play actor on the stage of life. You're putting on a show. He tells them, you know, you, you go and you make one convert, and the convert's twice as much a son of hell as you are. He says you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, you know, little tiny, like a leaf of mint, 
a little cumin powder. You tie these things, you're so accurate, and yet you neglect the weightier things of the law, justice, mercy, the love of God. He says you're like a whitewashed tomb. Outwardly is beautiful marble. You can see this in Jerusalem, by the way, where he may have been when he was speaking on the southern steps of the temple. And there you look over at the Mount of Olives, and there's all these tombs, graves that are above ground, whitewashed, beautiful. The whole mountain is filled with the whole side of the, the Mount of Olives. The whole, it's filled with them. Beautiful on the outside, he says, but on the inside filled with dead men's bones. Even so, likewise, you, he said, appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're filled with greed, pride, hypocrisy, envy. That's actually one of the big verses that led to my salvation. I was a Pharisee. I was religious. I was taught that you, you live a certain way and, you, and, and this is right with God. I was self-righteous. If you would have asked me, Tom, uh, when you die, how confident are you, you going to go to heaven? On a scale of 1 to 10, I said, I don't know, 8 or 9. I didn't want to sound so arrogant to say 10, but the reality was I was sure I was going. Why would I not? I was not a bad person. And yet when I read the scripture right there in Matthew 23, and Jesus said, you appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're filled with all kinds of sin. How true of me. How true of all of us. How true of the, the so many in our day that outwardly with me, you know, my my teachers, my coach, my uh, all kinds of people said I was a you know fine young man, but God knew my heart, and the things that I would look down upon and condemn in others for their behavior, they were they were in my heart. You know, I wouldn't have never killed someone, but I hated. I mean, you can go on and on. You can go right through the Ten Commandments and, and, and whether I broke them outwardly, some, of course, some of them I did, whether I broke them outwardly, inwardly, I'd broken them all. And Jesus looks at the heart. God looks at the heart and God's concerned about the heart. And this was the problem with the Pharisees. They had outward religion, outward righteousness and self-righteousness, but inwardly their heart was far from God. Inwardly their heart was hard. Inwardly their heart was corrupt. And Jesus would have nothing of it. And he exposed it, and it was painful, and it created a great conflict. One might wonder, you know, it almost seems so unchristian, the way Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the you know, cleansing the temple, the rebukes he made. It almost seems unchristian. But how can we say Jesus was unchristian? I mean, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus no one is more Christian than Jesus. And reproving and exposing sin and corruption was part of what he did. And indeed, in our world today, it's still got to be part of the mission of the church. It's still got to be part of the mission is to expose this corruption. In a world where we want, we want to make everyone feel good and no one wants to judge anyone, this model and example of Jesus really shows us something important. Now, when I say it's unchristian, it's hard to do this. It's hard to expose and rebuke sin without coming off as a self-righteous jerk, isn't it? We've all seen people, known people who do that, and they are self-righteous jerks. But notice what Jesus did in the end of Matthew chapter 23 when he ended these eight 
rebukes and these eight woes on you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice here as we pick up with verse 37, as he ends this rebuke and he ends this message in the temple and crying out against him, he says, verse 37 of Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will see me no more. You, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't know how you read this, but in my heart, I sense a great lament here. I sense a great compassion, a great pain. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. I, I weep over you. I longed to save you. I longed to gather you. I longed to make you my own, but you were, you're not willing. This is the, the city that the, the, the temple of God is here. This was the place God has chosen, and yet you stoned the prophets. You rejected those sent to you. Oh, Jerusalem, my heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for you. In Romans 10, verse 1, Paul says of the same thing. He says of his brethren, he said, I have unceasing grief. My prayer would be that, that they could be saved. I, and I, I would be willing to be separated from God if they could be saved. He had the heart of Christ, who we'll see on Friday how Jesus was separated from the Father that we might be saved. We see the heart of God here, and I want to say that we need to be people who exposed sin. We, we can't be light on it. God hates sin. God hates sin. If you've, if you've been listening to me, you know I focus on being righteous. That is what I think we should be focused on. But that follows a deep repentance and a turning away from sin. We repent. God, I'm sorry. I, we break over our sin. We humble ourselves. We confess it. And then we focus on becoming more and more like Jesus. But there, this, this exposing. I don't know, you know, it, this, this idea of weeping over sin. Our, church, you know, our churches have, have uh, their scandals. Look in, the, look in our churches, all the sexual scandals we've had. Look in all the financial scandals we've had. Look at all the big-name celebrities who have fallen into sexual immorality, sexual sin, financial greed. Look at those who have fallen away from the Lord. Uh, when, we, when we see these things, it, it, it breaks our heart. It, it crushes us. It should cause us to weep. Is this, you know, the Bible says judgment begins with the household of God, and often what, that's what this is, is God is cleansing, just like Jesus cleansed the temple. Sometimes he is cleansing even of our leaders, even of our celebrity leaders who we were looking to. Sometimes God is cleansing the church of its corruption, its hidden sins and scandals. But how about some of the other sins we tend to tolerate? Gossip, the corruption, that we, uh, you know, religious people can gossip quite a bit. How about having a power trip rather than being a servant? And then, of course, how about just the pride of self-righteousness? That these things, remember, we are righteous, but our righteousness is of Christ. We don't want to be self-righteous. We, we, we do want to be righteous. We want to boast in the Lord. We are Christ-righteous. 
not self-righteous. And so today I thought we would spend just a bit of time and just pray in our own lives, in our own churches, that God would help us not have corruption. We are people who still struggle with temptation, but we do struggle with it. We don't just constantly yield to it. We don't just constantly give in to it. And we don't approve of it. We don't, uh, we're not okay with it. We acknowledge that in the church that we come as people who are seeking the Lord and growing in Christ, and we've not arrived yet. But we're also not complacent when we think of sin and corruption in our lives and in our churches. Amen? So this is what Jesus stood against. What my goodness, this just this first this holy week, day after day, time after time, clash, 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 conflict with the self-righteous, corrupt religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he cleansed the temple in preparation for the sacrifice he would make for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a holy God. You're not a God who winks at sin. You're not a God who, who um, doesn't care. You're a God who says, you shall be holy for I am holy. You're a God, Lord, who searches the innermost being of us. You don't look upon us as we look upon one another. You don't look upon us as man looks upon us. But the Lord searches the heart. You look upon the heart. You look upon the motive. You look upon the deep, deep inner parts of who we are. Oh, Father, today we come to you with a deep desire to be righteous people, to be holy people with a deep desire, Lord, to say that we, we want no corruption in our lives, in our churches. We, we want sin not to reign over us, Lord. We want to walk in, we want to be as Jesus. We pray, Father, give us a holy hatred, a distaste for sin. Help us to see sin for what it really is. Help us to see corruption, greed, gossip, self-righteousness, pride, these things are detestable to you, Lord. I pray they'd be detestable to us. Jesus, it says of you that you were anointed with gladness and joy because you loved righteousness and you hated sinfulness. You hated unrighteousness. Jesus, teach us, help us, put within us a hatred of sin. A hatred of sin. Help us to see it as it really is. Help us to see corruption for what it really is. Open our eyes to this, Father. Lord, we acknowledge we're weak and we live in a world where all around us, in our advertising, in our movies, our music, so much of what we're exposed to, sin is made to look appealing. It's made to look good. It's made to look worth, worth going for it. Open our eyes. Help us to believe your scripture. Help us to know the truth. Lord, uh, keep us from following the crowd. Help us to understand the true life, the path of life, the way of life is following Christ. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Our way is life now and life eternally with you. Jesus, we thank you today that you, as we've been seeing, you are the door, the light, the world, the good shepherd, the bread of life the resurrection of the life, the way, the truth, the life. 
You're the vine. We're merely branches. You are all these things, but we thank you. You're also a, you were a prophet. And you spoke about the heart of God. And you challenged us to be wholehearted to you. Lord, I pray that we would be wholehearted for you. Deliver us from half-hearted religion. Deliver us from half-hearted devotion. Help us, Lord, to be sold out to you. Help us. Jesus, we're about to see how you laid down your life for us. Lord, I pray that what we live for would be worth you dying for. I pray that we, you who gave your life for us, Lord, most of us are older than you were when you died. You were only 33 when you gave your life for us. Most of many of us, Lord, I know I'm way past that. I pray, Father, that what I am living for would have been worth Jesus dying for. And so we bless you today. We thank you, Jesus, for your model, your example. We pray for this purity in our lives, in our churches. We, might we be the temple of God? Might we be the filled with the Holy Spirit? Might our churches be known as not uh, dens of thieves? But might our churches be known as houses of prayer for all the people? As you said, when you cleanse the temple, my church, my house, my temple shall be known as a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. I pray, oh God, our churches would be houses of prayer for all the nations. I pray we would be houses of prayer. So Lord, I pray today for each of us, and I want to thank you, Father, for this stern message here from Matthew 23. Thank you how you used it to convict me, to humble me, to bring me to an awareness of my own need, my own sinfulness, my own need of a Savior. I pray, Lord, today for anyone here who it's never really come to that point, that you would help them understand their need of salvation and that, that you, that, that their sinfulness, my sinfulness, our sinfulness, so much greater than we ever have realized, but not greater than what you did for us on the cross, not greater than the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. Thank you. We bless you. Jesus, we also remember how during your conflict with the Pharisees, you taught the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbors, yourself. We pray that these, this, this great love would characterize our life, every one of us, Lord, that we would, th this is our purpose. This is our, this is what we're to do. We're to love God. We're to love our neighbor. We're to love others. Everything should flow from this. And Father, finally today, we pray that when we see corruption and sin in our lives, in our churches, our families, in others, that we'd be as Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself. I pray, Father, that we'd have a compassion uh, that touches deeply within our soul, that we might weep over Jerusalem as Jesus did, that we might be filled with, filled with a desire not to put down, but to lift up, not to condemn, but to save. I pray, Lord, our words would bring conviction unto salvation, not condemning where there is no hope. Jesus, thank you. You, 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 you. you said some hard, hard words there, but you also gave hope. You will see me when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We say today, blessed Jesus are you. You have come in the name of the Father. You are our Savior and we praise you. Fill us today with your joy. Might this week be a great week. Lord, I pray that we'd be having 
friends, relatives. Uh, I pray our churches will be full this Sunday with, with an with answer and hope for people. Lord, help us even today to be thinking of people we can invite to church for Easter or how we can use this week as a testimony, an opportunity to share our testimony and gospel message with others. We bless you and we love you. You're a great God and to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining me. I encourage you again, make sure you're here every day. Well, I'll be back tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. We're going to continue looking at the events of this great week, the week that changed the world. I hope you'll be there. Invite some friends. Uh, each of us, let's invite somebody. Tell them, boy, this is Holy Week. It's a great time to be in the Word, to be focusing on the things that, the things of Christ. And uh, invite your friends, family, church, small group, pastor, whoever, to join us 8.30 here. Or if they can't catch it at 8.30 live, later in the day, or on the podcast at Apple, Spotify, or uh, the Google platforms. God bless you, and be holy today. Stand up for what's true and right. Don't be afraid to speak up against sin, but do so with compassion, and uh, as Jesus did. Amen? God bless you. You have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Bye-bye.